This morning, um, a couple of things that I still want to uh, share so I don't forget. I've asked Mark Sims, Mark and Joy, as you know, were on a missions trip that extended several different places in over uh, a month or so. Uh, I'm asking him to come, and he's going to take the mic and share with you for a few um, minutes about the uh, trip. And then just wanted to tell you that I'm looking forward to the next couple of weeks. I have a, a special blessing for you. But um, Steve Mel- Melvin, you know how much Steve has been through and has he's gone through that fire. The Lord is working in his heart and working the word out. And Steve's going to share the word with us in the next couple of weeks in Sunday school. So, Steve, we look forward to that as well. Brother Mark, it's all yours. So, I, Pastor Brody uh, gave me an opportunity to share uh, briefly. So, this is just this past uh, October and uh, September and October. I'm afraid that this is so small, you can't see too much, and unfortunately, this is in French. That is the country uh, of Chad. To the uh, left, you see Niger, and then below that, Nigeria, and then below that, Cameroon and to the east, uh, Central African Republic, and Sudan. And I want to, to pay attention to that area that I just mentioned, Sudan and Central African Republic. And there are two uh, regions you see on the south um, west or east side. And that is where the evangelist work that I, I taught um, last month and the month before. I landed in Gemini. Can you see that in Gemini? Do you see the blue? That's Lake Chad, and then that dark city name, that's in Gemini. That's the capital. That's where I land. And then I take a 10-hour bus ride down to Mundu, <clears throat> which is almost down at the border there. This um, is the mission station uh, when I arrived. It's, it was the rainy season, which can often cause complications. And this year, they've had a particular uh, large amount of rain, and so the, the station was completely inundated. I often had to walk to the training center where I taught, which is right behind me, and the, the mission house is to the left. I often had to walk through about five or six inches of water to get there. The subject I taught was suffering before glory. Uh, that's a picture of the notebooks that I took. 33 or so that weighed about a pound apiece. I also took uh, 21 MacArthur Study Bibles, which weighed about four pounds apiece. So I had 120 pounds going down, and it's kind of a miracle that I was able to take that much. I was actually overweight, and Air France is usually very strict on weight, but they allowed me to uh, take all that, so I wanted to take the maximum. Uh, The Bibles are for students because often they do not have uh, a Bible. I also uh, preached in a couple local churches. This is one of them, called Bibala, um, and that's typical of my trips down there. I, I've taken 15 to 20 trips to, to Chad over about the last uh, 23 years. I have a blank. I don't know why. Okay. <clears throat> this uh, man's name is Paul. <clears throat> He is the trainer of uh, 102 evangelists so far. He's been my student for over 20 years. We're very 
close friends. Um, and he directs a school, a uh, training school for evangelists. <clears throat> and it's quite revolutionary, actually, for Africa, because this man was discipled by another Chadian who began the school with the um, burden of um, having the evangelists not depend on money from the West. If you've been involved in, in Africa in any way, you probably recognize that pretty much ministry in Africa depends on Western money to, um, to take place. <clears throat> Paul has a completely different uh, mentality. He wants his evangelists to trust the Lord and, um, and to support themselves as much as possible. So they plant uh, crops, fields, they plant orchards um, in order to support themselves. Uh, Chad is one of the ten poorest countries in the world and probably just about the poorest. And uh, the evangelists live on about $45 a month. And it's very difficult, not only because uh, of a lack of um, material means, the climate is also <coughs> excuse me, very harsh. It, the northern half of uh, Chad is the Sahara Desert, so it's uh, often in the uh, rainy season they get inundated, and in the dry season it's very, very hot and dry. Chad, uh, um, Paul asked me to mentor him about seven years ago, and uh, so I asked him to give me uh, more details about his ministry, and it is just an amazing, amazing ministry. It's mostly among Muslims in the East, um, and he works in, in that, the area where you have the three countries that meet, uh, Central Republic, Sudan, and Chad. And this is so remote that this is where all the rebellions in Africa, all the rebels, gather together to train, to arm, and to do their thing. And this is where they're working. So it's extremely dangerous. Um, and yet God did a wonderful thing when they did a, mission, a vision trip there the head of a rebellion, a coalition of five rebel groups, Muslim, Muslim rebel groups, actually helped them to, to learn the lay of the land there. He told them who they could evangelize, who they, you know, they would just kill these guys on sight. And so they basically gave them two or three years of work, this, this one man. He was in the news a number of years ago because he led a rebellion that took over the Central African Republic. So God is doing really, really wonderful things. Uh, the timing of this teaching was really God's timing because Paul asked me to do this teaching in 2018. Because of COVID, it was delayed. And uh, a, less than a week before I arrived, uh, Muslim uh, um, Arabs uh, attacked villages around where Paul lives and where six of the evangelists work. This is a picture of the, oh, I didn't do it here, of the training center that was ransacked and partially burned. They burned a number of villages. These, these uh, pictures were actually sent by one of the evangelists before he arrived for the teaching. And uh, 45 people were killed. This uh, particular picture is of probably one of the people in our churches whose uh, wife and two children were burned in their house. This is the group of evangelists I taught. There were 30-some. <clears throat> I, I love teaching these guys because they are hungry for the Word of God. They have a very low level of education. 
but they have a very high interest in the Word of God. They're desperate to have the Word of God because they're in a, in a situation that calls for that. And uh, they're zealous for the Lord. Many of these evangelists, Paul has explained, when they, <clears throat> when they are trained, they go out without any salary, and they just trust the Lord to provide. These are high-quality men. These are some of the men who received the, the MacArthur Bibles. These two men work in the most dangerous area. Sorry, forget to change this. Um, these two men here uh, work in the most dangerous area. They live in Sudan. Um, to the right, his name is Timote. To the left is Abamako. He's a former Muslim. I teach a number of former Muslims who have been reached by other evangelists and then come for, to be trained. This is uh, Ramadan, another former evangelist, uh, former Muslim who's an evangelist, right in the city of Mundu where we were meeting. This man here, France, uh, Francis, I didn't even know until the end of the two weeks of teaching that uh, his house was burned down. He lives in this area where the Muslims attacked. And his house was burned down. His family lost absolutely everything except the, literally the clothes on their back. Uh, this is in N'Djamena, in the uh, mission station where um, I stay when I'm in Gemini. It's very close to the airport, very, very convenient. Uh, the man straight in front of me, facing me, his name is Samson. He's a longtime friend, Samson, a longtime friend. Um, he picked me up at the airport, provided me with a SIM card to put in my phone, gave me the money from the mission, because it's in Central Africa and Frank, so it, I don't have access to them until I arrive. Um, also took me back to the airport. So he, he's a good friend. He's also an evangelist in the city, capital city of, of Ingemina. And uh, he has not had the opportunity for his church leaders to uh, be trained. He's planted three churches in Gemini, and a fourth one began this month, a fourth church. And uh, these le church leaders here, he brought them to the mission station to kind of uh, impress on me that he wants me to come and train these men who have, been, have not had the opportunity to, to be a part of uh, uh, training in, with other groups. So thank you for your attention. There's many, many other things I would love to share that I can't, but I uh, appreciate the opportunity. Please pray for these evangelists. They, I, I just got a, um, a WhatsApp text from Paul yesterday. He said, pray for them. They are having extreme difficulties in many ways just because of their poverty, because of the harsh climate conditions, and because of persecution. So appreciate your prayers for them. Their faith. Thank you, Mark. As you can see, is a very powerful and effective uh, ministry and a very, very uh, important ministry. You look at those pictures and you just listen to that brief testimony. It sort of gets you right in the gut and checks your own commitment level, doesn't it? <clears throat> um, we, we know so little um, here of suffering or persecution um, comparatively speaking, and uh, so that was just a, a, a good 
visual and reminder. Thank you for the work you do, brother. Um, so, we're going to look at Psalm 121. We're going to take a flyby through that. I mentioned to you that Steve is coming and going to teach for uh, a couple of weeks. And uh, I believe that will be uh, helpful and a blessing and will we'll build us in the word. Um, I sincerely don't put anybody before you ever that I don't think is going to be a blessing to you in one way. And, and yet, you know, every person who stands here is also blessed. Mark was just blessed by having the opportunity. Um, if, a, if a young man stands here who's training for the ministry, he, he's blessed by having the opportunity. I'm blessed week by week because you only get the leftovers of what I get to study all, all week long. And, and God's word is the sanctifying power of, of, of my life, just like it is yours. And so um, I'm confident that Steve will be a blessing to you, but I also am confident that he'll be blessed by having the opportunity to teach and the sanctification that, that goes on and the encouragement that you'll give him. And so those two weeks, along with the thing I sent around, takes us right through Thanksgiving. And what happens right after Thanksgiving? Christmas. Yes, Christmas. Right. You don't have to be shy about that. All right. Truth. Truth now. Truth. Look me in the eyes and tell me the truth. How many of you have listened to at least one Christmas carol already? Look at that. No Christmas carols over here. Not until after Thanksgiving. Wow. You have, you have got what I would call um, conviction. Yeah. And so as we look to December, I would just uh, remind you, reading from Isaiah, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Isn't that a great truth? And, and that great light, we know, was the, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. We're after the election, folks. The government doesn't rest on the people that were elected. Oh, this government does for this day. But this day is but a breath. And the government will rest and does rest upon the King Eternal, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's where our hope is. And this Psalm uh, 121 is good for, for every day. It's particularly good for this day, uh, I think. So open your Bibles and look at Psalm 121. We said it's part of 15 Psalms, the Psalm of Ascents, Psalm of Degrees, Ascending, Ascending up to Jerusalem. The pilgrims sang it. It's the second of 15. It's an anonymous psalm. If you were to dig into all the commentaries, you, you probably could divide them into three categories relative to what they think, guess, presume is the context. And so whenever I see that in the text itself hasn't been clear on the context, then I, depending on the, the census certainty depends on how, how much I share. But 
I think it's very interesting here because the text doesn't tell us, so we don't have to know. Do you understand that God is the great revealer and everything we need to know is there? It's totally sufficient. And everything we didn't need to know, he also didn't tell us. So we, we don't have to struggle with that. Sometimes it seems like a tension. Why didn't God tell us A, B, C, D? If we needed to know, he would have told us. And, and yet, uh, I find the um, possible context here um, all sort of a, appropriate in a, in a way. Because the one, um, probably the major one, is that if you were traveling to Jerusalem in those days, you would look to the hills with great anxiety because the danger is so great of walking through the valleys of the shadows of death. Uh, there isn't a paved road. And the robbers and the thieves, they would hide out, and, and they actually traveled in caravans and in groups, partly for that protection. And, and that's one of the, of the context and the thinking, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills with that anxiety. There's a great anxiety because I can't get to Jerusalem without going through the hills or the mountains. And so, you know, some say that is the context. We don't know. Again, the text doesn't tell us. But in each case, when you think about that, the psalmist immediately goes above the hills to the creator of the hills, the creator of heaven and earth. Uh, the second, which was mentioned last week, is the Old Testament is full of the examples of the um, pagans and, sadly, uh, God's own people often worshiping and putting up and setting up idols in high places. And so is it the psalmist referring to that? He lifts up the hills with a broken heart and he sees the high places where, where false worship goes on and he's basically saying, we don't look to the hills where the false worship goes. We, we lift it above to the one true God who is the creator of heaven and earth. That, that's a viable possibility as well. And then there's a third one, which I, I, I don't think is possible at all, personally, but some have said, quite a few actually, that it could be the uh, Jews um, who were in exile and getting ready to return to Jerusalem. Now, the reason why that doesn't make any sense to me, and, and several, what I'm going to call conservative, conservative commentators said the same thing, is that we know that several of the songs that are definitely grouped together and put here were authored by David, though this one is anonymous. And if, if David were the author, then you would assume the psalms that were grouped together are likely the same author or somebody living in the same time period. And obviously, David wrote way before the Jews were exiled from, you know, from Israel. So... I would, I would count that one out. But, but the idea is, is that we as people, that's where I want you to get, we as people, we, we look at the obstacles before us and sometimes we're filled with, with anxiety and we need to look above. And, and you know, we look around the world and we can even be tempted, um, get myself in hot water here, but this is TBC and and we're in hot water with this all the time. You, you can look at things like psychology 
And, and it's, it's nothing more than a high place. And, and we look above the things of this world to the living God, who is the creator of heaven and earth, and who gave us his word, which is totally sufficient for life and godliness. And, and then, uh, you know, of course, we're in exile, aren't we? Don't you feel like you're in exile today? Is this where you belong? We don't belong here, do we? Our citizenship is in heaven. And so we, we, we lift our eyes, um, as it were, uh, in exile. And, and we can see all of that as we think about maybe the possible context. Look at the, look at the psalm. I will lift up my eyes to the hills or the mountains from whence shall my help come. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time and forevermore. It's a psalm about the journey, often called the traveler's psalm. It's the journey that we're making, and it can very easily, with no difficulty of all. I don't don't believe in this case it's spiritualizing the text. I think it's timeless. This was a part of the Jews' lives, and we're on a journey. We're on a pilgrimage, and it's part of our lives. And this psalm gives us great confidence in our traveling, in our journey, in our pilgrimage, that we have a timeless God who grants us his care and um, who looks over us. I like what G. Campbell Morgan um, said about this psalm. You know, they're looking up at the hills from the place of their vantage point, the distance, sort of like if you get a far look at maybe the peaks of Otter, but, but even further because they wouldn't have had all the houses and trees and every, everything else that would block their view. So you could see the, these hills for miles and miles away, almost all the way from Jericho. And as, as they were looking up, the place where they're going to go is where they're going to worship God, where God's in the temple, in Jerusalem. And, and they're going to go there three times a year, and that's where the presence of God during that age, during that time, that's where it dwelt, there in the, in, inside the temple, inside the Holy of Holies, in the place where God met with his people. And the people would come there and they would meet with him. And uh, with that consideration, G. Campbell Morgan said this, they were still far from Jerusalem, but they were never far from God. They were far from the place of external worship, but close to God and in his safe care during their journey. Well, in a way, isn't that us? I mean, God's in heaven. We're here. 
uh, he's, uh, he's sometimes seems like he's a long ways away, but he's right here with us. And, and, and we're journeying. And how many have, have, have you said, maybe to somebody you're really close to, uh, right at the moment, it seems like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. But they're not. He's an ever-present God, Psalm 46. He's an ever-present God in time of trouble. He's an ever-present help. And, and that's what G. Campbell Morgan is saying, and it's, it's really true for us. There'll be a day when we will worship around the throne and there'll be nothing to inhibit us. Uh, there'll be nothing to restrict our view. Our eyesight will be perfect and we'll see him in all of his, of his glory. But right now we have that distance and yet in the person and the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we are the church. We are the, the bride of Christ and he, he, is, he is the head and we have that, that wonderful assurance. But we're on a journey. Spurgeon said of this psalm, God is just as present in the journey as he is at the destination. Now, isn't that comfortable? Yes, when we get to heaven, we'll see Jesus. Jesus was telling his disciples, right? I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you can be also. But I'm going to leave. But if I leave, what's he going to do? I'm going to come back and get you that where I am, you can be also. So we're on a journey, and right now there seems to be a distance. But just in the same way as this psalm, there's the external, the external hope of that glorious place called heaven, but there's the internal worship and closeness and fellowship of the Holy Spirit right now that, that we can experience. And so a beautiful psalm. Let's just walk through it. I'll lift up my eyes. I'll lift up my eyes. I talked to you last week about the importance of lifting up your eyes. Your eyes affect your heart. Thinking God's thoughts. Meditating on the word. Lifting yourself up above the downward pull of your flesh. I want to give you an example. I, I, I had no idea that this would become an example. I drove down my street, one of my streets where I live, a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, and out in the street, there's two motorcycles in the parking spot, side by side. They're, they're both legally within the parking space, but the one motorcycle is almost at the outer edge, so he's almost out, and it feels like if you're in, a, in an SUV and you're driving by, that's really close, and you sort of feel like you need to go around. And as I would see that, for probably a week, maybe two weeks, that just irritated the living fire out of me, okay? I live it. Have you ever just had the, the living fire irritated out of you when there really was no reason you should have been irritated, but you just were? Yeah, hello. I was being critical. I was thinking down. What's wrong with those people? And I started meditating on this song. And I talked to you guys last week about lifting our eyes. And I started thinking about I mean, don't go there. You'll really get in a lot of trouble. 1 Corinthians 13. Bear all things, believe all things. Anything without love is zero. And I thought, wonder if those two motorcycles belong to believers. Well, and even if they don't, I, I wonder why they're parking them like that. Then I had a light bulb moment. Hey, 
They don't have to ride motorcycles. They could ride cars. And if they rode cars, they would be taking up two spots. But instead, they were motorcycles. So maybe their motivation was they'd park side by side so that there, we have a lot of trouble in Cornerstone with parking, so there would be extra parking for other people. And I thought to myself, Larry, the fact of the matter is, you don't know their motivation. But God convicted me in how often it is I see things, and my downward pull is the critical. My downward pull is the negative. And I'm, I'm warning you, as people, that's where we are. We don't normally lift up our eyes. We don't normally look up to the Lord. We don't normally think God's thoughts after him. We submit to the downward pull. Amen? And so we have to be careful about that. I don't know what their motivation was. It doesn't really matter where they parked their motorcycles. But it became, it became an exercise of faith for me where God was sanctifying me through his word as I looked at a simple verse and thought about how often it is my eyes are down. And when my eyes are down, my spirit is down. When my spirit is down, I'm critical and everything around me is woe is me. I'm undone. Guess I'll eat some worms. I don't think that part's in the, <clears throat> in the King James. But no, lift up your eyes unto the hills. From whence comes your help? The maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. You've got good standing. You can't slip. He's saying, look, they only wore sandals. Uh, they couldn't go out and spend 200 bucks on hiking boots. Okay? They had sandals. And it was a rocky road, and it was a dangerous trek. And he said, you don't have to worry. God, God's going to care for that. God's got you. We have standing. As believers, you realize we have standing, and sometimes it feels like it's rocky and it's going to slip, and we only got sandals on? But we don't have to worry. Look, just take and plug into your, your computer standing, or stand in, or stand. And you're going to see that as believers, we stand in his grace, Romans 5, 2. Yeah, you're going to see that we stand in the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Uh, you're going to see as believers, we stand by faith, 1 Corinthians 16, 1. Uh, you're going to see, if you look at Ephesians 6, that we stand with the full armor of God and we're able to resist the devil himself, Satan. That's the kind of standing we got we, we stand in liberty or freedom, Galatians 5. We stand in unity as believers, our backs circled, protecting one another. As it says in 1 Peter 3, 5, Ephesians 4, 3, and 1 Corinthians 1, 10. And even more glorious than that is according to Jude 1, 24, one day we will stand in the presence of of his glory, blameless. That's a pretty good standing that we're assured. And, and the psalmist here was assuring the people that God is their standing. We have so much more than they did. If, if they had that assurance then, before Christ, look at the assurance we have now. We should be able to lift our eyes and walk in confidence because of the great standing that we have in God. The Lord is your keeper. He kept Israel. 
Wow, we could talk about the Six-Day War, right? I mean, why does Israel still exist? Why haven't they been stamped out like a bug? Right here. Because God keeps them. And if you're a friend of Israel, and if you pray for Israel, God will keep you. And if you pick a fight with Israel, you just picked a fight with Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth. The Lord is your shade on your, on your right hand. A right hand all the way through the Psalms, and, and most of Scripture describes the believer's need, uh, the, the, the people of God's need. Uh, the Lord will take care of your every need, just like it says in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and it's in all circumstances, it's at all time. He, he, he is the sovereign of your days, and he's the Lord of your nights, and he protects you in every situation. No evil can befall you. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He that began a good work you is going to perform it in the day of Jesus Christ. So, church, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes past the hills to the Lord of glory and walk in confident faith and have a great week. Lord, thank you for the truths of your word. May they become the prayers of our heart. And may we walk by faith in that way this week. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.